I know we just prayed, but would you pray with me again? Father, as I climbed up the stairs to this rather unusual pulpit, I realized that its purpose is not to elevate the man of God, but to exalt the word of God. And so, would you exalt your word today, I pray? Would you speak through human weakness, in spite of human weakness, with spiritual power? Your people need your word. We need your word. So feed us today, we pray. We submit ourselves to you, Holy Spirit. Come. Challenge us where we need to be challenged, but comfort us where we need to be comforted. Meet each one at the point of his or her individual need. These things we ask as we come in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. If you have a Bible handy, I invite you to open it to Daniel chapter 3. Very, very familiar story in the Old Testament, uh, but we're going to be looking at just a few aspects of it uh, this morning. It was about 600 years before the coming of Christ that God judged the people of Judah for their idolatry by sending them into exile in Babylon. This, the first deportation of exiles consisted of promising young men who were put into the service of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. These included Daniel and his three friends, whom we know better by their Babylonian names, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men quickly rose through the ranks of the wise men in Babylon. Now, you know the experience, don't you? You've had a really vivid dream, and then you wake up and you can't remember what you were dreaming about. Uh, That seems to be what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar in the chapter before our story this morning. And it's kind of important to set the stage, because Nebuchadnezzar was too proud to admit that he couldn't remember what he dreamed, so he put it on the wise men. And he said, now I need you to tell me what I dreamed and give me the interpretation of the dream. Oh, and uh, no pressure, but if you don't, heads are going to roll. And, and they said to King, you know, that's not really how it works. You know, you have to tell us the dream. And, th- and then we can tell you the, the interpretation. Um, but he said, oh, you, you, you're just a bunch of fakes. You're a bunch of frauds and phonies. I, and this is the way I'm going to test you. If you don't tell me both the dream and the interpretation, you're all going to die. Well, of course, they couldn't, and the order was given for all the wise men of Babylon to be executed. That order applied to Daniel and his three friends as well. But they prayed. They sought the Lord, and in the night, the Lord gave the answer to Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the dream and the interpretation, actually, to Daniel. He went, he shared it with the king. The essence of it was that Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed of a big image with a head of gold. And then 
uh, different body parts underneath it made of progressively um, less valuable materials as you proceeded from the head to the feet. And Daniel explained, the Lord has said that you are the head of gold and these under you are the empires of world history that are going to follow you. So the wise men of Babylon were saved. Now we come to chapter 3, and if you will, let me read the story to you from Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits, that's about 90 feet, and its breadth about 6 cubits or 9 feet. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar Uh, sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, and prefects, and the governors, and the counselors, and treasurers, and justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples of nations and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as the people heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true? O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God? Who will deliver you out of my hands? 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace was overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to the counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, prefects, and the governors, the king's counselors gathered together. And they saw that the fire had not come and had no power over their bodies. They, the hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire came upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed is the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree. Any nation, people, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruin, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then God promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This is the word of God. Thanks be. The book of Proverbs tells us that anger is cruel and fury overwhelming, but who can stand before envy? Even though Daniel had saved the lives of the wise men in Babylon in the previous chapter, they took their very first opportunity to kill Daniel's friends and take their positions of leadership. But the powerful truths I want you to see in this story don't come from those envious individuals, uh, nor even so much from 
the, the men that they accused. Rather, I want you to see God. I want you to see God in this story. I want you to see, first of all, that, that God is all-powerful. There's absolutely no situation that you face, no problem that you have ever encountered that is too difficult for him to solve. In our text, King Nebuchadnezzar arrogantly questions these people. He, he, he says, you know what? You do what I say. You worship my image or you're going into the furnace. And, and what God is there that's going to be able to save you from my hand? Huh? And they told him, if you do put us in the furnace... Our God is able. Our God is able. The God whom we serve will save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. The the Bible is full of examples of God's sovereign power. When Sarah was told that she would have a baby in her old age, you remember what she did? (laughs) She laughed. 90-year-old women don't have children. Then God asked her the question that he asks his people in every generation. Is anything too hard for the Lord? When the archangel Gabriel announced to Mary that she was to give birth to the Son of God, she too staggered in unbelief. The angel reprimanded her by saying, Nothing is impossible with God. Jesus once reproved his disciples by saying, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Now listen, probably no one here disputes that statement. But I have to ask you, What is it in your life right now that you have come to believe that is just too hard for the Lord? Could it be maybe a a healing of a broken and scarred relationship? You know, that's just water over the dam and it'll never get better. Maybe a health problem. Maybe a financial problem. Whatever impossibility you're now facing, uh, God wants you to trust Him for things that are beyond your ability to accomplish. God wants you to know that His power is truly without limitation. And that knowledge, by the way, that knowledge of God's power is meant to energize your prayer life. Those who believe that God can change circumstances are constantly asking Him to do it. But when we give up, when we quit, when we're not praying anymore, when we're not expecting answers, well, that's when faith falters. That's why Jesus said when He when he taught about prayer uh, and persisting in prayer, when the Son 
of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Because as long as we're praying, we're still believing that some change can be made. I'm convinced that some of you today are going to need to respond to this morning's message by making a new commitment to pray for a situation that you've given up on. Now, I'm not trying to come down hard on anybody because I've done this myself. There have been people that I've given up on. There have been requests that I've given up on. And later, I've seen God's answers just so he can show me, hey, Bruce, you know that person you thought was not elect? (laughs) He was. You know that person you thought would never change? I changed him. I was at a missionary conference with a a young man just a year older than myself. Well, he's not young now, but he was when we were growing up. We grew up together, and uh, I mean, this guy was a wild, wild man, you know. Even though he was a missionary kid, just got into all kinds of trouble, drug problems, and jail, and everything. And even the pastor of the church at that time said, He's too far gone. He'll never change. But God had other plans. Because after not seeing that, that guy for more than 30 years, I ran into him at a missions conference. He's now a missionary nurse in the Amazon jungles of South America. God's power isn't limited No problem that we face is too difficult for him to solve. Now, that doesn't mean that all your prayers are going to be answered in exactly the way you want them to be answered. Because in addition to being all-powerful, God is also all-wise. He knows what's best for you. My favorite part of this whole story is when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, "If, if we're thrown into the fiery furnace, our God is able to save us. He can save us from the furnace and he can save us from your hand, O king. But if not, in other words, even if he doesn't, we're not going to worship this image that you have set up. These young men recognized that they had no right to demand a miracle from God. And that's why they said, even if he doesn't, God is all-powerful, but he uses his power in a way that's perfectly consistent with his love and his wisdom. Knowing that truth, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were able to trust God. Now, where I work in Africa, there's a popular misconception about faith that I see some here in America as well. The misconception goes like this. If you don't get what you prayed for, it must be because you didn't believe hard enough. So believe harder, and you'll get it. In effect, this idea makes faith a tool with which we can manipulate God. That's not what the Bible is talking about when it talks about praying with faith. You see, true biblical faith 
includes this element of, but if not, in it. Remember what Jesus said when he prayed in the garden, uh, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But if not, not my will, but yours be done. But if not, means submission to God's will, an acknowledgement of his wisdom. God says, your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways aren't my ways. Because as the, the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. One of my favorite verses in the Bible about prayer is Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, which says, don't be anxious about anything. Okay, now that's a command I rarely keep, but still it's my favorite, you know. Don't be anxious about anything. Okay, But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In theory, that means that if you pray about something, you shouldn't be worrying about it anymore, right? But if your experience is anything like mine, it doesn't always work that way. Uh, Sometimes I'll be praying about a situation, and in the middle of the prayer, I'll be thinking, now how am I going to fix that situation? With thanksgiving is the key phrase to the whole thing. With thanksgiving. When you're praying, with thanksgiving. Some people say, oh, that means that you think of all the answered prayers that God has has in the past and you're looking at his past faithfulness as evidence that he'll be faithful in the future. Well, that's a good thing to do, but that's not what he means when he says pray with thanksgiving. The with thanksgiving is a submission to God's sovereign wisdom. It's a submission that says, Lord, even though I'm out, this situation is out of control to me, I put it in your sovereign hands. This is the way I want you to handle it. But if not, I thank you that your perfect will will be done. I thank you that you're a God who's too powerful ever to face a situation you can't handle, too too loving ever to do anything cruel, and too wise ever to make a mistake. Now, that's biblical faith, you see. That's the kind of faith that you need to have in prayer, and it's when you have that kind of faith that the promise will follow, the promise of peace, the peace of God guarding your heart, because you know it's in God's hands. And you really can let the worry go. Now along with God's power and his wisdom, I want you to notice God's sufficiency. God is all sufficient. He's all you need. When when these three men said, but if not, even if God doesn't rescue us, they were not just submitting to God's wisdom, but they were also acknowledging 
that God was everything they needed. In God, they had all that they needed. Uh, Steve Brown, one of my former professors, used to like to say, you won't know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you've got. And then when Jesus is all you've got, then you'll understand and realize that Jesus was all you ever needed. I could tell you story after story of friends in Africa who have found that to be true. The Lord Jesus taught us to store up our treasures in heaven rather than on earth. I like to express it this way. If your treasure truly is in heaven, you have nothing on earth to lose. One of the perks of being a missionary is being able to travel to a lot of places. And uh, when we travel different places, we try to stop and see things. One time in Turkey, I got to visit uh, Istanbul, which was the first Christian city in the world called Constantinople, and visit the church where a famous uh, preacher named John Chrysostom preached. Chrysostom lived in the the late 4th and early 5th centuries. He was a great, great uh, orator, a great preacher, and a great man of faith. One day, John Chrysostom was brought before the emperor and commanded to renounce Christ. And the emperor said, if you do not renounce Christ, I will banish you from this country forever. You will be separated for life from your father's land. And John responded, you can't separate me from my father's land. All the world is my father's land. And the emperor said, then I'll take away all your property and treasures. And Chrysostom said, you cannot, because my treasures are in heaven. Then the emperor said, well, then I'll send you to a place of absolute solitude where you have no friend around to talk to. And Chrysostom said, I have a friend who is closer than a brother to me. He is Jesus Christ who has promised always to be with me. And then in anger and frustration, the emperor said, then I'll take away your life. And Chrysostom said, you can't even do that because my life is hid with Christ in God. Tim Keller, who many of you know, a pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church up in New York City says an idol is anything that you need in your life. Anything you need, anything you think you need to be happy and content in addition to Jesus. So show me what it is that you can't live without and I'll show you your idol. Jesus is all we need. A little girl quoting the 23rd Psalm got a, a little mixed up. She said, the Lord is my shepherd, that's all I want. Oh, that we could honestly say that. And we could find our sufficiency in God alone. Idols will disappoint you. 
They'll rob you of the very joy that they promised to give. Run to Jesus. He is your ultimate treasure. Well, this all-sufficient God is always the same. I want you to notice that in the, in the chapter, in the story, that in this ocean of change, God stays the same. And the same is true for us. God is the only rock of stability that we have in an ocean of change. All the people in the story are changing around. The wise men, whose lives have been spared in the last chapter, I mean, they they just changed. Their first opportunity to advance themselves, even if it means the death of the people who saved them, no problem. What about King Nebuchadnezzar? Well, his, his thoughts and emotions were all over the map. He goes from the place of vanity and pride, setting up this golden image. Remember, in, in, the, in the chapter before, in his dream, he was just the head of the image, the head of gold. But he wasn't content just to be the head of gold. He wanted to be the whole image. So he made the whole image of gold. So proud uh, was, 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 was this man. And, and from there, he, he, he went to furious anger at people who dared to defy his command. Then utter amazement as he sees four men walking around in the fire and they they come out, three of them, unharmed. And then unbridled praise to the God who did this. People change, but God doesn't change. He's always the same. Every good and perfect gift is from above, the Bible says. I... He comes down from the Father of the heavenly lights in whom there is no change, no shadow of turning even. God is not a man, Moses wrote in Numbers, that he should lie, nor the son of man, that he should change his mind. Jesus Christ, Hebrews tells us the same yesterday today, and forever. You can depend upon God because He never changes. His attributes, His word, His promises are always the same. And because He is constant like that, we can approach Him with complete confidence through Jesus Christ. Finally, I want you to see from this story that that God is with you. No matter what the situation, He's always there for you. He was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. After the king had thrown them into this fiery furnace, he looks down in amazement and sees not three, but four men unbound and unharmed walking around in the fire. And the text says, he said that the, the fourth was like a son of the gods. Well, it looked like a son of the gods to Nebuchadnezzar because it was the son of God. Jesus in the Old Testament often appears... Uh, and they're called a, a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. He often appears as the angel of the Lord. 
And that appears to be who this was in, in this chapter, Jesus himself. Even when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the furnace, Jesus was right there with him. And he's also with you. We're going to sing in a minute from Psalm 43, the promise that he says, you know, when you pass through the waters, I'm with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they're not going to sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Nothing can happen to you unless God permits it. And nothing can come into your life until it's gone through the nail-pierced hand of Jesus. So that nothing comes that is not without God's good and wise and loving purpose. So why does God let us go in the furnace in the first place? You know, you might ask that question. Well, the Bible answers it. The Bible teaches that, that God lets us go into the furnace, the fiery furnace of trials to purify us. Did you notice in the story that the only things that were burned up in that furnace were the ropes that bound the men? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego needed that fire to burn off what was binding them. And so it is with us. When you, and I don't say if, I say when you go through fiery trials, it's so that you may be purified. When you go through the furnace, God wants to set you free from something that's holding you back. The road to freedom, you see, leads through the furnace. But it's not the flames that bring freedom. Real freedom comes from the one who is with us in the furnace. Jesus Christ. The Bible says that he has undergone the most intense, painful, fiery trial imaginable. And he did it not only so that we could be forgiven, but also that we could be free. And if the Son shall make you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus once endured the fire of God's wrath on the cross so that he could always carry you through the purifying fires that the Father has now ordained for you. With Jesus, you can find freedom, even in the furnace. Would you pray with me? Lord, it's so easy to talk about trials when, when everything's going right in our lives. 
but maybe it's during these times that we need to remind ourselves that it's not always like this. That you are doing a wonderful work in us that's way beyond our capacity to grasp or understand. Father, my prayer for myself and for my brothers and sisters in this room is that you would allow us to approach our lives with a mindset of absolute confidence and faith in you. Confidence that you are powerful and wise, loving and unchanging, and that you're always with us. We invite you to do your work in our lives and where we feel a little bit scared or apprehensive even to, even to give you that invitation, we ask that even that you would allow us to put in the category of but if not and give you thanks. So now, Father, apply your word to our hearts as it has been shared uh, from a, a fellow pilgrim in this great, awesome journey known as the Christian life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.